Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anya McGlynn. Hello, everybody. Oh, Anya. What? (laughs) I mean, this is a very interesting podcast today because it's talking about something that's hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard for me to talk about because I don't want to call out any organizations I've worked at in the past for bad culture. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I have worked at organizations that have unhealthy cultures. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I have as well. And uh, it's, it's not great. It's, it's terrible for your mental health, for your physical health. Um, You can see uh, your colleagues around you suffering. It's, um, it it makes you really unhappy to get up and go to work every day. Um, It's not great. Um, But I think the thing, you know, that, you know, we get hung up on when we're thinking about toxic cultures, or we're thinking about organizational culture in general, is defining what that culture is. And then once we define it, it's solved, right? Um, We've figured out the culture piece, right? So we we have a nice culture deck, then then we're good. And it's defined. This is what we say our culture is. So everyone follow suit, get behind it. Exactly. But you know, you and I both know that um, that deck isn't always indicative of how um, things are practiced or things get done. Um, And actually, if I can refer to uh, a tweet that I saw from Melissa Nightingale, who's uh, one of the partners of Raw Signal Group. They're really interesting. If you um, if you haven't checked them out, do check them out. Um, but she tweeted uh, a story uh, of someone who's a consultant who goes in- into organizations and helps them define their culture. And the exercise that she does with them. They. Uh, they, exactly. So what they said is they go into their clients and they ask their clients, okay, if someone was starting day one at your company or your organization, what would you tell them they need to do in order to get ahead and be successful? So people will list out things that they do in order to do their job well mm-hmm. or to be recognized as a good employee. So the whiteboard is filled with all of these mm-hmm. kinds of things. Yeah, like this isn't the manual. This is like, no. you know, I'm going to pull you aside and give you the lowdown. Here's what it really takes. Yeah, to get ahead. Yeah. Like, don't piss this person off. <laughs> yeah. Make sure that you don't take more than this amount of time for lunch. Make sure you always respond to your emails within two minutes. Here are working hours. But actually, but you actually, should be in the office by this time or don't expect to go home by this t- until this time. Exactly. Yeah. Like, all those kind of things. And then what the consultant said, okay, that's your culture. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whatever you've expressed on in your deck about, oh, we're a results-oriented workplace, or we respect people's, um, you know, caretaking time, or all of that kind of stuff, what's written on that whiteboard in terms of how you succeed and how you get ahead—that's your culture. And I just thought that that was so indicative of the the sometimes hypocrisy we have mm-hmm. between how we say that we are, especially in the charitable sector. I think we fall yeah. victim to this because, oh, like. Yes. We tend to operate sometimes on this like moral high horse of we do good. And so therefore, we can't possibly create spaces that people don't like to be in. But that is so far from the truth. Yes, so, so far. And I mean, I can honestly say that I think every organization I've worked in has had some disconnect between what the culture really is and what the culture that they want to create is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
It's a big problem. And we know that it's a problem because we know that employees aren't lasting long in organizations. There's really high turnover and the costs of that are significant. But honestly, the most important metric for me, and I look at this for our company, is like, do you get up every day? Does everyone on your team get up every day excited to go into work? Mm -hmm. Because... If the answer I mean, is no. ex- some days I'm not excited. So, I mean, you know fair, what I mean? Like fair. some days are tough days. But like, do you feel like can your you work is contributing and- to your sense of self? Exactly. Exactly. Like, can you go into the office and feel like you can be yourself and be productive yeah. and accomplish what you want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And it feels good, even though the work's not always easy. Yeah. Certainly, it's almost never easy, but that you feel supported and that you feel productive mm-hmm. and that you never have to hide any part of yourself or any way that you work mm-hmm. because it doesn't fit yeah. with anything else. So uh, it's a big it's a big problem, certainly everywhere, but I think especially in the charitable sector. Mm-hmm. And our guest today, Marianne Kerr, is kind of on a mission, I would say, to call organizations out on this disconnect and to give them some tools to help them move towards more cohesion and being uh, the kind of workplace they say they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, that's key. Closing that gap um, between statement and actuality. <laughs> I mean, you know, in many cases, you'll never completely close it. It's very difficult to uh, live up to your highest ideals that you set for yourself. Um, but at least, you know, naming that gap is a good first step. And, and and then you can start to sort of build the bridge from both sides. Yeah. So it's a pleasure to welcome Marianne to the podcast. She is the Chief Happiness Officer slash CEO and Principal Consultant with the Medalist Group. She's worked in the social profit sector for more than 30 years and has helped raise over $100 million. Marianne knows that successful organizations create and nurture a climate where everyone understands their role. Politics are minimal, engagement is high, and turnover is low. Isn't that what we all want? Mm -hmm. So please join us in welcoming Marianne to the podcast. Marianne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Cindy. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Um, I know you have, you you did some really important research and we're going to talk about that. And you've been having a lot of really important conversations to try change our sector in a really important way. So let's start with um, the genesis behind your research and what led you to taking a step back and saying, hmm, we have a problem and that problem is culture and we need to fix it. Well, thank you. That's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I've been in the sector for 33 years, and I have, uh, I've loved every minute, even the, even the tough days, uh, because at the end of every day, I knew that I was doing something that made a difference in the world. And, um, you know, if you happen to have children at home, when you walk out the front door in the morning, having um, work that is engaging and that matters uh, makes leaving them behind just that little bit more easy, I guess. So I'd been in the sector a long time. And I looked back over my years. And I said, uh, you know, when were the times that I when I felt really engaged in the work? What were the present for me in those organizations? And what was present was great leadership, uh, great teams, 
and healthy organizations in terms of their culture. And you can measure that in all kinds of ways. So mm-hmm. that was what that was what sparked the interest for me was to say, you know, what does it take to have a healthy organization? And we've all experienced, I think everyone I've talked to has experienced uh, unhealthy cultures. What do we mean when we say that? What does it feel like to work in a place that doesn't have a culture that supports you or that is healthy? Well, I love the way you asked that question because the word feel uh, is one of those words that um, I think in a, in a culture that is not healthy your feelings actually really don't matter very much. So um, there's been some great research done around what, what, uh, what is a toxic culture? What does that look like? Um, and, and in a culture that is unhealthy, um, I think you're not really in a place where you can fully express yourself, where there is a lot of uh, sort of insular stuff happening. So there's a kind of inner circle in those kinds of organizations. I think you see a ton of turnover. So our sector really suffers from high turnover, and and that is, uh, you know, a, a sign of an unhealthy organization. So there's lots of kind of markers around that. But if I were to say the one thing you would you would feel um, as though you were not valued, as though you were not respected, um, as though what you brought to the table didn't really matter, and and who wants to work there? Hmm. Um. I think that most people have experienced that at some place and it's not unique. And I, and actually I I think you've been doing a lot of speaking that is not specific to the charitable and nonprofit sector on this topic, because it certainly is not unique. Um, But I also feel like because we're doing this really important work, there's a sense of we should be a little bit selfless. Can you tell us the dynamic of like why we let this sit for so long or, or, you know, why is it so prevalent? I think that the sector, uh, particularly in terms of attracting people who do fundraising, so you know that that's really where I focus most of my my um, professional efforts, attracts people who um, tend to be fairly empathic. So we care a lot about the work, um, and I. And I don't mean that only only fundraisers do, but I know, you know, I want to speak from my truth and from my experience. And so I know working with fundraising teams that you're in an organization because you care so much about what they do. And so you maybe uh, put up with bad behavior because you think, well, you know, this is the price we pay to do the good work that we do. And the truth is, you know, if Amazon, and I don't mean to pick on Amazon, but if Amazon treats their staff poorly, which they should not, but if they do, you know, society goes, oh, well, it's a big, bad corporation, right? But when you find out that charitable organizations whose mission uh, is to help others in some way, shape, or form treat their employees poorly, it's almost sort of shocking. I think a lot of people have moved into the, the nonprofit sector thinking, it's going to be a place where it's all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. And the truth is it, it isn't at all. It can't be, but I also think we shouldn't undervalue ourselves and our work. It's so important. And I don't want to dwell on, and I don't think we have been, but I don't want to dwell on the the negative. What I love right. about your research and about your work now is really focusing on how we change this. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, everyone has their experience of their workplace culture. We're not sharing anything new there, but what is new and what's helpful is how do we take action to create positive changes so that we get up every day excited to go to the office? Tell us a little bit about what you found in your research and what you recommend uh, people can do, regardless if they're the executive director or, you know, a junior staff member. How can we come in and start to create change? Sure. Well, you know, I think the truth is that, that we all own a piece of culture, right? The way that we interact uh, with our coworkers, with the people that report to us, we all have an opportunity to uh, treat others with kindness to be uh, open to uh, the different ways that people work. One of the things that I found out, you know, which doesn't surprise anybody when I did this research is that absolutely every person I interviewed said, you know, that attention to culture is critical. But mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, organizations are doing very little about it. So I-, I think the very first thing is that we need to pay attention beyond, um, you know, a staff picnic or a baseball game or an annual holiday party or or any of those things, because the truth is, you know, by the time those things happen, if you're functioning in a culture where um, you don't feel valued, you actually don't really want to go to the annual holiday party either, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) You don't want to hang out with those people (laughs) so much. Um, So I think that's the first thing is that we need to pay attention to it. And how we do that is by engaging with the staff. We need Mm -hmm. to talk, we need to talk to everybody to get a sense of, you know, sort of benchmark, where are we today? What, what, how would you describe culture? You know, how would you describe the way we get things done around here? How would you describe the way that a leadership team is functioning? We, mm-hmm. we need to engage with people and have conversations. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we do that? If, um, how do we start doing that? If our culture is starting from a place where it's not good, because I think that, it's really hard to get people to trust the process in an environment where it hasn't worked for them in the past. So how do we actually take those first steps to create the space to do the work uh, without people feeling like it's going to backfire? Yeah. You know, it's a, such a good question. There's such, there are different points of view around this. For me, I really believe strongly it, it has to start um, with the leadership, with the CEO and the leadership team. There are others who it, it, who do this kind of work who say, you know, it doesn't. I, as a, let's say I'm a director of development and I have a team of six or seven fundraisers that I could, I could do that work within that silo of the organization and then try to build it out that way. I don't believe that works because ultimately you hit your head up on a ceiling that says, okay, well, yeah, that's all well and fine and great for your team, but that's not that's not how we do things around here across the entire organization. So I do think it has to start with leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's tough if you're not in a leadership position. So I, and I think it accounts for a lot of the, the movement in organizations because, you know, if you're a, a fairly junior person, you know, maybe you're five years out in, in your career, you may not have any influence, right? You may not be able uh, to make those things happen. And I think that's part of the reason why. So then we look for organizations where we hear leaders talking about good culture, right? Mm-hmm. Where we, we hear them paying attention to it. And, and I think it's going to become very much a differentiator for people and organizations. I, they're, they're going to lose people 
and attract people based on culture. Stop the podcast. I just wanted to take a second to remind our listeners uh, who may not know that this podcast is brought to you by The Good Partnership and Charity Village. So a lot of people don't know that both of our organizations are deeply committed to making sure that there are tons of great resources available to small nonprofits in our sector. And so I want you to take a minute to go and access some of those great free resources. For The Good Partnership, you can visit thegoodpartnership.com. And for charityvillage.com, there's so many webinars and, of course, the podcasts, articles. The list is endless. And, of course, you can post jobs there, volunteer positions. Posting is free. So make sure that you are checking out both websites to deepen your learning and continue to access great free stuff. Great tips, Cindy. Now on the podcast. One of the things I encourage people to try gauge when they're interviewing for jobs is trying to understand the culture and and how people uh, enjoy working there. Um, And certainly when we hire people, both for ourselves and for other clients, we try to give them a very realistic and detailed account of what it's like to work there because I think it's so important to find the right place to be. I mean, one one of the things I, I heard when I was doing research was that, you know, sometimes you just have to be prepared to put up with um, th- these kinds of environments where, where the culture, you know, sucks, essentially, for lack of a better word. And I tested that out when I did my interviews. I asked people how they felt about that. And out of all of the interviews I did, only two people agreed that that was true, that the, that the thing to do is just put your head down and carry on. And then, you know, go home and have a couple of glasses of wine to forget the day you just had. I think that's the attitude we've had towards it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so um, when we say test it out, when we say to somebody, you know, you're about to start a new job, test it out. The place we go is, you know, we look at a website and we read all of these fantastic values that are espoused but not lived. Right. So I, I think that the only way you can really determine what's happening in an organization is to talk to the people who work there now. Not the people who are interviewing you, but you know, people on the right. on the front lines are doing the work that is close to you. Understanding that it is a key differentiator and that so I guess my question is does it in my experience, um Sometimes that culture, the negative culture, starts at the top, but sometimes it doesn't, but it is allowed by the CEO. Is there a difference when it comes to making the change? Like, do you have a different approach where you have a CEO who is part of the toxic culture versus having a CEO who just and I, and I don't blame the CEOs for this, but I just think they probably don't have the skill set or maybe the um, bandwidth to address managers or directors who are creating that toxic culture. And so they just let it be. Mm-hmm. How do we, like, is, is, is that a difference uh, in terms of how we approach changing it? Sure. I mean, I, I think the number one thing to do, you, you need to have a, you need to have a leadership who really gets it. So if you have a leader who is kind of, um, a, doesn't have the skills to um, manage that employee or series of employees who are uh, creating the toxicity, 
then you have a leadership issue, right? Mm -hmm. And and all of this starts, one of the, the most important things that came out of my research was that all of this starts with the board. And and I was really surprised at the kind of, I, I got a bit of pushback on that when I published the research and people said to me, well, no, no, you know, this is you, you, this is an operational issue. This has nothing to do with the board. Um, and what I was really impressed with, the, the folks that I interviewed were very, very senior people. I mean, they, there was, uh, you know, we had 164 years of service to the sector. They were managing $463 million in annual revenue. They had $3.5 billion in endowed funds. I mean, these were folks who really have been involved in this for a long time. And every single one said that their board measures them as a CEO on culture. Mm -hmm. They measure them. It's part of their performance review to say, what is the retention rate? Why are people leaving if they are leaving? Um, what are you doing to ensure employees are engaged? It's part of how they are measured. So, you know, it, it, that we have some poor leadership in this sector is a truth beyond a shadow mm -hmm. of a doubt because organizations haven't invested in leadership, right? They haven't invested in support and training those leaders. They've 100%. Come, right? Right. And so when I did my master's in leadership, one of the things that kept coming up and, uh, for me that I've always believed is that the wisdom uh, actually exists within every organization to be the kind of organization they want to be. It's, it's all there. It's just about pulling it out. And that's what a great consultant does. Not that I'm you know, only saying the way to do it is with a consultant, but that, that's what you do. You, you gather the wisdom that's already in the organization and you co-create something really uh, that, that reflects who they, they really want to be. I really want to dive into this idea of evaluating culture because I mm -hmm. think I've never seen that in small organizations. So can you tell us a little bit, I mean, you mentioned retention which I think is a great and clear indicator. What other ways can we actually both benchmark and then come back and, and reevaluate uh, what culture looks like in terms of metrics? Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that uh, I do with clients is uh, an organizational audit, right? Mm -hmm. An organizational health audit. So that's how we create the benchmark. So we look at everything, including the physical characteristics and, and environment that, that people work in. You know, we deep dive into customs and norms, right? What are the, the kinds of behaviors that people are involved with that we're okay with? You look at things like policies and procedures, how formal an organization it is. Um, you look at rules and regulations um, in, in every aspect. You consider, you know, what do we look out on what do we measure right? mm -hmm. How, what, what are those things that really matter to us um, where are the uh, lines of accountability and are they working we look at leader at behavior so we say you know what what's happening in terms of how leadership is interacting uh, with the whole organization how is leadership um, at the executive level interacting with each other we look at things like payroll or, or, or um, awards and recognition um, we look at symbols like how do we celebrate right mm -hmm. all of those things so there are lots of tools that uh, are available that allow us to really deep dive into what a culture looks like and it, it doesn't matter how big or small the organization is mm -hmm. it, it's, it's entirely doable um, and it, it really involves connecting with employees across the organization mm -hmm. so 
what I'm hearing is that there's not necessarily a right, let's say, custom or norm or policy or procedure. It's the combination of all these things that fit together to create the environment for your organization to be successful. So obviously, it doesn't look the same in every organization. Oh, absolutely. And and one of the examples I like to use is, let's say um, an organization has created a set of values that that they say reflect who they are. And one of those words that we hear all the time is respect, right? So how does respect uh, play out in in terms of the physical characteristics? So if my office is a a little teeny tiny closet with no windows um, and the CEO has a big, huge corner office, tell me how respect is played out there. Mm-hmm. Right? How is how is respect played out in our symbols and celebrations? So in other words, do we have a Christmas party or do we have a party that is inclusive of, of all uh, types of worship and so on? Right. So how does it play out in in rules and, and policies? Do we do we tell people what they should and shouldn't wear to work? Because how is that respectful? <laughs> right. Or how is it? So So it's about taking. Um, what you said are your values as an organization, if you have them, mm-hmm. and and digging deeper into into how they're reflected through all aspects of the organization. It sounds like to all of this, values might be the backbone or sort of the umbrella that we are um, sounding board to say, are we aligned? How do you go about creating values that reflect the kind of organization you want to you want to be part of and you want to create? So again, I think it's about, there are different ways to do it. I uh, come from a belief that um, if you do this at a leadership level, so you know, lots of CEOs start in a new, a new uh, job and they say, okay, we need a new strategic plan. And, and they, they do all of the pieces that need to happen in order for that to be delivered. But they don't stop and say, you know, what, what are the, what is the value system and how do we reflect it? So to me, values are reflected literally through that word we started with, which is emotion, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there are lots of, um, I, I use the emotion, it's called the emotional culture deck, where we literally sit down with a leadership team and we say, you know, here's a deck of cards. Tell me which are the emotions, not good and bad, but which are the emotions you want to feel at work? Which are the emotions you want people who work here to feel? And which are the ones you don't? And then what are the actual specific behaviors that we need to uh, support in in order for that to happen? So in other words, if somebody sends me a disrespectful email and I send back my own response to that, is that okay? Are we allowed to have that discourse by email? Is Mm -hmm. that right? It's a very specific kind of action. Those things need to be discussed and, and, and considered and agreed upon. That's really helpful. I, I love that. Uh, we love the using cards and getting people to engage with material that way. So, and I think that really grounds it with understanding the outcomes or implications of your actions um, so that it's not just your action on its own, but how it affects other people. Exactly. Once you get that part, you have, what do they call it? Like a stick in the sand. Like you have, yeah. you have that marker to say, is this, person upholding those values yeah. Uh, or as our workplace, it might not even be a person, but is our space, as you said, our policies upholding those values. Yeah. And it's a clear marker. 
Yeah. And I, I think the biggest challenge to this kind of work is that uh, organizations, CEOs, leadership teams don't envision a return on investment. But one of the things my research showed uh, was that, and, and I had two very specific examples of CEOs who were with large organizations who had experienced, uh, who, they came into very toxic environments. Uh, there, there was massive turnover, uh, fundraising revenue was on the decline. And in, and in both of these cases, but it was also reflected in the smaller organizations, these just happened to be big ones, they were able to measure it because they, they put the stick in the sand, they benchmarked it, and uh, they're raising more money and they're retaining more staff. And they were able to see that uptick within 18 months of their arrival because they focused immediately on culture when they arrived. I think that's such an important point. And actually, I wouldn't have thought that you would get that kind of resistance because I know for me, it's always been so important. But I think it when when you mentioned it, it totally rings true to some of the most important decisions we make as organizations, we always think, what's the ROI? Or, you know, we can't afford to invest because we're a charity and we or a nonprofit and we have no money. But I think the return, as you said, is actually, and especially if we start to measure these things, the return can be very clear. And ultimately what it comes down to as well is, when you have a more efficient and happier workplace, your mission is better fulfilled, right? Your your people can better meet their goals when it comes to uh, providing the service or or support they that serves your mission directly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And and you know, uh, if you think about. Uh, you know, earlier you said we, we want places where we look forward to going to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, t- to me, those are places where we trust each other, right? We're, we're able to have conversations about things that are messy and difficult without uh, fracturing relationships, right? We, we're kind of committed as an organization and individuals within an organization to, to a plan of action and priorities and we hold each other accountable to those things. Right. And that's ultimately about all of us coming together to achieve collective results. That to me is the organization I want to go in and work with every day. I love that. And certainly has been my experience where I've had, uh, where I've worked with people where we can have a constructive dialogue. We don't always agree on everything, but when we don't agree, we have um, really respectful ways of managing that. And it actually feels like we're getting better outcomes because of it. Exactly. I mean, that's diversity in action, Mm -hmm. right? Because we talk, we've come to this place where we talk about diversity um, in ways that are about reflecting culture and gender and and all of those things, which I think are absolutely essential. But what about diversity of opinion, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. We need to make space for that. We need, and, and in fact, you know, if you have a team where, uh, of six and five are all on the same page, but the six is is out in left field. You, you really want to listen carefully to left field, right? Yeah. Because that's the diverse viewpoint. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sometimes hard. Yeah, uh, and it's hard to be that person in the left field, which is why the rest of us have such an important role in terms of creating the space to hear that person. Yeah. Oh, Marianne, this work is so important. And 
I think there's so much at stake in terms of our the ability for our organizations to actually exist for a long period of time and do the work that we're you know meant to be doing. And if yeah. we don't figure these things out, um, everything everything is at stake. Yeah. So I thank you so much for doing this research and for sharing it with our audience. Where can they learn more about you and and, uh, and the research and any resources that you have? Uh, please visit my website, themedalistgroup.ca, or on LinkedIn. And can I just add one closing comment? Mm, absolutely. <laughs> one of my uh, favorite interview participants, uh, you know, close our conversation by saying, you know, if we choose to ignore ignore culture, uh, we still have culture right? It exists whether we foster it or not. And that's where I got the concept of imagine the impact as a name for the research paper, because I think what you've just said is absolutely bang on. Imagine the impact we could have if our workplaces were happy and productive and kind and caring and totally inclusive. It's true. I, yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. I think that really underlies everything that we do. And we should feel amazing about the work we're doing because it is so important. But for some reason, and this can be a whole other conversation, but uh, it feels really prevalent in my mind these days, which is our work as a sector is so undervalued. And we are we think that it's sort of um, a weight we have to carry as a consequence of us working in the nonprofit sector, that things exactly. just aren't as good because we have no money. Yeah. <laughs> and I really think we can change that. So thank you, because I think this is a very specific way where we can start to see those changes and do the work uh, with more joy. Thanks so much, Cindy. Thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.